Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Ceasefire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 33, and we'll be talking about the 8th episode of Steven Universe, Serious Steven. I'm GC13. I'm Ken. And I'm Dakota. Before we actually get started talking about the episode today, um, a couple of weeks ago, y'all remember we did a crossover podcast with the Ringo Zone, and I just did a podcast with them the other day, so if you want to go check that out, we'll provide the link down there. It's it's a fun podcast, but I will warn anyone who's listening that there is some language, so if that's something that you want to be wary of, know that going in. Quite the salty batch. So yeah, we finally got to Sirius Steven, finally the foundation for so much wondering, and we we're starting to get the tools to understand it now. It's funny to me that this is such an important, memorable episode to you, because when I say, what I'm about to say is literally true. For the first three minutes of this episode, I was absolutely 110% convinced that I had never seen this before, and that somehow I just missed this episode. Seriously. That is how unmemorable this episode was to me. See, but here's the thing. I I somewhat agree with you, except that I was just really excited about this episode when it came on, because I was all about the lore. But... I am convinced that it was written that way for a reason, because I think that the crew wanted to put a lot of this this lore underneath and make it kind of something that's out there, but that we don't really notice immediately. That way, when they start hinting at the Diamond Authority in later episodes, like Keep Beach City Weird, those who are really excited about the series can look back and say, oh my gosh, this is something we can look towards. And those who are just like casual fans, it's something that's going to go under the radar for them. So it's not like super lore heavy, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I have two things to say. First, first one is short. I thought, Ken, that your thing would be complaining about how annoying and stupid Steven was in this one because... Oh, don't you worry. That's coming. Okay, good. Because, yeah, he, he was definitely a callow, callow <laughs> hero in trading in this episode. But this episode is so big because of the lore, it just stuffs into the background and makes no special effort to call attention to. I mean, that mural with Rose fighting, who we now think is Blue Diamond, was always a mystery, even before Mirror Gem and Ocean Gem. It's like, this is important. Why do you think that Blue Diamond? Because if you look at it, Rose is colored pink, and that one is kind of colored in blue. Time to Google! And you see over on the right, the one is colored in yellow, and the one over on the left is colored in white. Now, it's really weird because of the lighting in the scene. If you take out of the one who Rose is fighting, that is actually lighter than the one over to the left that looks white compared to everything around it. But I'm pretty sure, now that I think about it, that that's just the lighting. And you have white diamond, blue diamond is fighting Rose, and then yellow diamond over on the right. Here is my thought process in this right now. I think that, okay, obviously the fan consensus right now in terms of the diamonds are that there were four diamonds, with Rose being pink diamond. I think that when Rose rebelled, that she was not the only diamond who sided with her, that White Diamond also sided with her. And we can get to some more discussion later on in the podcast that that is the gem I think they actually retrieved from this temple, was White Diamond. But when Steven goes to retrieve that gem, it has like this really neutral look on its face until Steven like grasps onto it. Then it has a happy face that looks towards Steven. It's really complicated trying to figure We've only begun to understand what the mural is, but the Pyramid Temple itself is still a huge mystery. But I'm just going to say this, that we can't really base anything on whether it's happy or sad because Steven, you know, touched the mechanism because when a gem is captured and used to power an object, it follows its captor's rules unless the machine is broken which it was not at that point. So it being touched by Steven was some kind of deactivation switch for it. 
How long do you think the temple had been there? Do you think that at the time the gems came to retrieve the diamond, or the gem that I'm assuming was white diamond, that it had been there for a while, or do you think that it had only recently appeared, Garnet had become aware of it, and that's why they went to retrieve it? I think it's been there for 5,000 years, but they only found it. They only recently found the key. Okay, that makes sense to me. I'll buy that, because my concern was that if it has been there for that long, why haven't they already tried to go and recruit the diamond? I, I love how this is our first it's bigger on the inside moment. Well, I guess we kind of got that with Together Breakfast when we got to see that the door led to different places, even though it didn't move in the physical space. But, it, you know, the Pyramid Temple on the outside is a large structure, but it's so much bigger on the inside. Got that TARDIS effect going on? Mm-hmm. I think in terms of linguistic consistency, if like the terms are important when they call it a temple, then I think that the word temple might be more important than just like a word. I think like temple might be symbolic of like a base for a specific group. Yeah, but it's weird because this was clearly constructed after the rebellion, unless Rose was no longer a diamond before the rebellion. Because, you know, the, the Sky Arena is built, there are four diamonds, including pink diamonds, so that's probably Rose. And then when this pyramid temple is built, there are only the three diamonds. Presumably no more pink diamond. That's true. I mean, because it depicts the other three colors who we know to be in the Diamond diamond Authority in that mural, so okay. that means pink's got to be the odd one out. So I know that you disagree with me here, but I think that this is where a discussion on time frame is really important. I think that the Sky Battle Arena was built before war ever even began, like before that was, a, that yeah. was something they wanted to do. And I think that the gems have been on Earth far longer than, than just before they started to grow gems on Earth. Right? I think that's feasible. I mean, we, we have no way of knowing how long the... Because they clearly have interests in Earth other than, you know, reproduction. Because the Sky Spire was a cultural exchange site. And they, they have other places that seem to be more... You know, the gems are building up some kind of an infrastructure here. And so the kindergarten doesn't have to be the only reason they came. My, okay, so my thought process is, is that when gems are incubated in a certain place, Typically, gems don't mass-produce other gems. They might, you know, grow a few gems on one planet, a few gems on another planet, but they don't actually try and, you know, strip-mine all the nutrients in a planet. We know, or at least I think we can assume, and I think the fan consensus, is that other than the civil war that took place on Earth, there is some other intergalactic war taking place elsewhere in the universe between the gems and maybe also other gems or maybe some other body. And the reason that the civil war on Earth took place is because when the gems originally came to Earth, they had no intention of using it to just strip mine and grow more gems. But at some point, a faction of the diamonds decided that's what they wanted to do. And Rose said, no, I don't want to do that because this is a great place. And that's why the break happened. That all sounds reasonable. Well, I mean, yeah, we're talking about so much about the backstory of the show. I mean, the this mural is, we, we could have an episode about the mural by itself. We're just talking about it now because it appeared in Sirius Steven. But, oh, like I said, still so many secrets left to uncover from this guy. So as far as the mural goes, I want to like jump in while you're talking about that. Here is my assumption of what diamond is which. If you look at the mural, and if you want to take a second to pull it up while I'm talking about it, listeners, there are three depictions of gems that have a diamond on their chest and then there's rose. All the way on the left, you have a gem that has five spikes and a giant triangle on its head. I'm thinking that's white diamond, and I'll explain in just a second. I agree at this point with GC that the gem in the middle is blue diamond, and I think the gem to the far right 
is Yellow Diamond. And here's why I think that. Other than the fact that that's what they're painted? Other than the fact that that's why they're painted. I think, on a secondary level, the gem to the far right, it's standing in front of the sun. So I think that Yellow Diamond is probably going to be associated with the sun, and I think that Yellow Diamond's powers are going to have to do with fire, or maybe like sun or solar energy, I think that that's going to be some really closely linked symbolism. The gem in the middle, it's kind of blue-ish, but there are also like icy shards around it. So obviously that's probably blue diamond. I think that makes sense. And then the gem all the way to the left, that's probably white diamond because there's no other diamond left that it can be. Process of elimination. So those hands reaching up to who we think is white diamond, I, I have, those have been a mystery to me since the, since the beginning. It's hard to tell what those hands are meant to be doing. I always viewed the hands as almost acclaiming her. Tangent for just a second that I want us to think about before we come back to the role of the hands on White Diamond. What do you think Ruby and Sapphire's roles are in the gem hierarchy? Like, what do you think they do? That is a pretty big tangent. And I, I we'll get there, but what do you think they do? Because their gems are located in their hand, and as of, um, I can't remember the name of the episode, but the one where Greg tries to fuse with Rose and fails, and then they talk about that. They could be level 8 beings, you know, simple worker gems. Okay, so maybe they're artisans or craftsmen, but craftsmen or crafts gems or whatever. I think the important thing is Garnet says you have to have a gem at the core of your being. And the fan theory that gem placement has something to do with chakras has been around for a while, but I think that this is also more evidence for that theory. Obviously, for Ruby and Sapphire, their left and right hands respectively are the core of their being. So what they do with their hands are the core of who they are. All of the diamonds, the core of who they are is smack dab in the middle of their chest, if we can assume that those are their gems. And for Rose, it's in her stomach area. Yeah, I don't know that we can assume that those are their gems. They're, they're clearly symbols, but they're much larger than gems. I think that's just their symbol of identification as a diamond. I, I don't know that we can be certain that that is also their gem placement. I don't know. Gems come in all different shapes and sizes. We've seen some pretty big gems and some pretty tiny gems. That would make Rose the odd one out, though. Yes, true, but her gem is also not diamond-shaped, as the white diamond's gem was. It was yeah. uh, I mean, you guys saw the gem in Sirius Stephen Temple. I'm sticking by the fact that the assumption that that is white diamond, and if I am shown to be wrong later on, okay, I'm wrong. But that's my assumption right now. Sure, she's the odd one out, but, I mean, she rebelled for a reason, I guess. Well, that, that would explain why they put her at the bottom of the pyramid. It's also possible that she was just, like, as far as diamonds go, one of the lower-ranking diamonds. And I think that this would also possibly be evidence for your theory that, like, diamond is a title rather than the gem itself. I mean, I, I've held that it's possible that Lapis could have, in the past, been a blue diamond before being deposed. But we know nothing about her, so that's just a guess. It's a thought experiment. That's what it should be. I don't know about that, because part of me wants to say, ooh, that's true, but then if that gem in the middle is Blue Diamond, her power is clearly controlling ice, and just looking at her body shape, I don't know about that. I mean, Rose's power is controlling plants. I mean, there's nothing pink about that. Sure, but Lapis controlled specifically water. Even with those water clones, they looked kind of icy, but it looks like I'm this gem sure, is, is attacking sure specifically I'm not sure that Lapis's ice. power is specifically water. I mean, Pearl can control water. She controls fog. She controls sand. I think it's just the gems are able to magically control matter. Lapis is very good at that. 
She's a very powerful magic-using gem. I w- anyway, what I'm getting at is if like this is white diamond and blue diamond is also disposed, that would make some sense because as far as diamonds go, yellow diamonds are among the most common form of diamond, and it looks like yellow diamond is in control of the gem whole world right now. Or at least she's at least in control and over lapis, and lapis, peridot, and jasper. But anyway, going back from that tangent that I said I needed y'all to get off for a second, the... Hands and feet are obviously something we've seen symbolism with before. Like when gem shards try and reform, they don't turn into torsos. There are no feet there. They're they're just hands. Right. That that's why it that could it could mean that she's the one who came up with the cluster project though. That that is. Oh, you think so? I guess now they're keeping it. Well, because as you pointed out, that we've seen the gem shards. I mean, I would be I would be much more certain of it if there were feet on there also. So, but since they're just hands, you know, it could be symbolizing her acclamation as a leader, or she could be scourging them, and you know, their hands raised, begging for mercy. I mean. Again, this this mural has only started to give up its secrets. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to raise that as food for thought then, that like hands and feet have been shown to be important to gems. And like when you have the gem shards, they were, they were formed in one of those two things, hands or feet, but sometimes legs and arms and sometimes not. Maybe there's mm. a distinction between like whether or not a gem will turn into an arm or a foot if it only has a shard based on what its role in the gem hierarchy was or, you know, gem society. There's an argument for that maybe. And the gems that White Diamond was over worked with their hands. Hmm. There you go. She could be the supervisor of the workers or something. So then if Ruby and Sapphire on the home world, their hand was the core of their being, left hand and right hand respectively. I don't know if, as far as chakras go, there's a difference in your left hand and your right hand. That, you know, they might not be workers or, you know, fighters. They might be specifically craftsmen who make things that aren't necessarily technological. We know they're definitely not impressive, grand-looking gems. They're very short. And the gems do seem to place a premium on aesthetics. My thought process is that Sapphire was an artisan, the likes of like a... uh, That like Sapphire would have been an artisan who made things like clothing or very really artistic things. And Ruby might have been a blacksmith or, you know, still an artisan, but someone who worked in a rougher environment. So Sapphire makes cultural items and Ruby makes utilitarian items. But they're still artisans, and that would explain why the gems are on different sides of their hand. So, okay, let me clarify my thoughts here a little bit. Obviously, like, gems don't have to have everything made for them. There are some things that they can just, like, make appear. Like, their clothes, they can make them appear, and it's almost as though it's part of your body. But let's think about something like Pearl's replicator wand versus one of her uh, her, her uh, projections, one of her hollow pearls. A hollow pearl, if you stab it through the chest, then like it's going to get messed up. It's it's a very digital thing. It's it's it's, it's a literal living hologram. Whereas the replicator wand, it's it's an object. It's an item. A replicator yeah. wand might be something that a gem like Sapphire would produce, whereas a giant battle axe might be something that a ruby produced. So I don't think it's out of the question to say that like there are still artisanal gems whose job is to make things just because gems can make something as a hard light hologram. No, yeah, yeah, we we know, we have evidence from this very episode that they still use physical weapons even. So, yeah, I I agree with you. Although I think that might be enough of the mural because we actually did have some pretty funny stuff in this episode. Like, I want to know where Mr. Smiley got that ride that it has a setting that is so dangerous that it breaks the ride itself apart. I mean, he can't blame Steven for that. That is manufacturer's defect, and he needs to go get his money back. 
Well, that's true. Businessman. So I think it's really unfair to ban Steven from all of the rides when, I mean, he is not responsible for the design and manufacture of that machine. Steven still was breaking the park rules, or what I assume would be the park rules. I guess I haven't seen the list of the rules, but Steven was still being irresponsible. Uh, yeah, I can still blame Steven, but yeah, he needs to take that company to, like, court. Do they not yeah. have seatbelts in those seat cups? Because, like, any ride at, like, a fair or an amusement park I've ever been on, they forcibly strap me down, and I can't just undo it. How does Steven get out? He's not buckling his seatbelt. Yeah, and also it's funny, Garnet's like, Steven, wait, don't go. Oh, well. <laughs> If only there was a way that I could get to him. But alas, I am a slow person who cannot stretch my arms. <laughs> right. <laughs> the best part of the episode to me was Pearl being like, I misunderstood the purpose of this ride. I loved that line. That is classic Pearl right there. <laughs> that is classic Pearl. Easily this episode's highlight. <laughs> I don't know. I like Steven. You are banned from all the rides. Forever! Smiley. Smiley is great. I mean, so well voice acted and such a wonderful character. Isn't Mr. Smiley voiced by Sinbad? Yep. Yeah. He brings his A game to he brings his A game to Mr. Smiley. Obviously. I was listening to this podcast that Sinbad was doing an interview on. That's a kind of crazy guy. <laughs> what does he do? Yeah. What is he famous for? I know he's famous for something, but I don't know what. He's a comedian, yeah. and I think he had a sitcom. Well, Sunday in some films. Yeah, I don't know, but I know he's a famous comedian. I know that's that was bread and butter. Yeah, this this episode had some had some. Well, we had the we had the classic Pearl remark, but it did have some classic Stephen in the sense of Stephen is not like this anymore. Yeah, thank Jeebus. Yeah, this was this this was definitely Stephen kind of at his. I mean, he's funny to watch, but it's like, oh boy, this guy is not ready to save the world, is he? I don't even think he's funny to watch. He's just super annoying in these episodes. I thought he was adorable, and we will just have to agree to disagree, Ken, but I thought it was adorable, and I thought that the relationship building we got between him and Garnet, while still keeping Garnet this really distant, mysterious character, was great. Yeah, I mean, we like to talk about how, you know, later on, Garnet started to show her more loving maternal side to Steven, but you have in this episode, this is this is a fun ride, Steven, and better put those away or you'll trigger a trap with that gun show. Or better be careful or <laughs> oh, you'll yeah. trigger a trap with that gun show, so. I think, that was good. I think before, like, we got the Big Ruby and Sapphire reveal and before, like, she had to start coming out of her shell some, it wasn't that she was any less maternal, I th- it was just that she was more mysterious and distant, you know? And she she had fewer lines in these earlier episodes anyway. Yeah. And for me, when I knew that she was Estelle and I knew that the um, uh, Didi Magno and uh, Michaela Dietz were the voice actors for Amethyst and Pearl, my thought process was the only reason she had such fewer lines was that, you know, they didn't want to pay Estelle as much, and so they had her record fewer yeah. lines, which obviously Estelle's not a busy lady. Of course she is. She's Estelle. Yeah, yeah. She, she's on tour. She's got to record her songs, etc., etc. I love Estelle. I have never, I had never heard of a single person involved in Steven Universe until I started watching the show. Although I had watched and greatly enjoyed some of Ms. Sugar's episodes on Adventure Time. I mean, come on, Gladiator Ghosts? You can't get any better than that. Oh, I'm not even going to begin and try and act like I knew who anyone was before the show started, but like, since the show has started, I have fallen like head over heels first. I love her so much. I knew of Rebecca Sugar, but that was about it. So see, but I didn't you even learn know her so much well. joining a fandom. Now it's like Sugar's queen. Yeah, she she doesn't really uh, interact with the community that much. I, I, I guess we can be kind of intimidating. Yeah, she's far more hands-off than pretty much everyone else on staff. That's probably a good thing, though, because everything she would say would be spoilers. Yeah, 
And then she, she she's the one who has to put up with the whole, oh, make my episode idea into an episode. Or, can you please insert my gem sona into an episode? It doesn't have to be important, <laughs> just in the background. It's like, what is your gem sona? I know Alex Hirsch from Gravity Falls. He's pretty involved in community, or at least he's active on Twitter and whatnot. I think Sugar probably is just the type of person who doesn't like using social media. I mean, I could respect somebody who values their privacy. She comes across as a very yeah. professional woman. Like, you know, she she gets her stuff done and she has fun doing it. She's good at it, but she doesn't necessarily want to be all over social media. You know, I, I can respect that. But <laughs> Steven getting attacked by the butterflies. That was adorable. I thought that joke was really lame. I hated it. Really? You didn't like them yeah. being bigger, looking bigger when they're on his eyeballs? Okay, that part was kind of funny. I meant, like, at the end, when they just come out of nowhere. I liked that. Stuff. That was good. That's that's very cartoony, but in a, it made sense. That was a very fun way to end the episode. I'm just being a hater today. I don't know what's up. <laughs> it's really tough watching these episodes and watching old Steven when you're used to new Steven. I mean, yeah. you know, the show, the show is still good, even if it's a different flavor. But I mean, again, Steven's had a pretty heavy character arc, you know, level, you know, gaining some levels in adventure, you know, and it's really tough going back and watching the, the you know, him back at level one and two. I've said this before. Mm-hmm. I will say it again. It feels as though, like, throughout the various story arcs, the show has become different things, and it's done so really naturally. So, I I don't know that I agree with you there, GC, because I kind of want to consider these first 22 22 episodes almost a different season entirely. Once we get to episode 23 or so, the show begins to get a different thing, and once we get over, like, the Lapis season finale in 25 and 26, we move into, like, this separate arc entirely. So, when I'm watching these first few episodes... I am definitely looking for lore that I didn't pick up on the first time coming through, but I see it as something wholly different. It's it's very much so a gag-a-day kind of show where it's just fun. And when you consider that it's through Steven's perspective and that they've been really vocal that everything is Steven's perspective, you're experiencing it when he experiences it, it seems even more natural. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The show has really changed in flavor, but Steven has changed even more. I mean... But that's why the show is thinking changed about the no. It's not. It's not just Stephen. Events have made the show be about other things as well. But I mean, I like basically. I like the older episodes. They're they're different, but they're good. But you know, older Stephen. You know, the older Stephen in those older episodes is like more funny than a credible protagonist. Yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, can you imagine new Steven running away? Well, he was all he was cowering from the seagulls, so maybe he's not so different running away from the butterflies. I mean, he's no less silly of a character. Steven as a person is just a silly person, and that's something I like about him. But he's definitely matured some. Yeah. He's still a silly person, but when he needs to, he can get serious. Serious Steven, activate. I like that. Pearl, can you put me down? I, I just love how she tucks him under her arm and pats his head a couple times. That was, again, classic Pearl. I mean, it's stuff, it's stuff like Pearl did in this episode that made me, that made Pearl my favorite character in the series. This, this was probably the episode that cemented that. I mean, I, I just, I can't remember that far back, but it's stuff like this that would have done the deed. I gotcha. You know, speaking of that, speaking of Pearl, we know that in her song in Thorn to the Sword, she drops the whole, you know, deep down you were meant for fighting thing, but she can fight. I think I'm going to want to assume, as many other people are, that Amethyst was made for fighting, but, if we are, if it's true that Ruby and Sapphire were not meant for fighting, if they were art, art, artist gems, then I think it's really interesting that Garden is as good of a fighter as she is. Granted, like, even for a fusion gem, she's not, like, very strong. Yeah, I mean, Opal's probably stronger than Garnet. I, we, I mean, we've never have. seen... 
Good. I, I guess it all just depends on if Jasper is a fusion or not, because people have observed that Jasper has pupils, and in the past only fusions have had pupils, although people do make a good argument that Jasper might just have the pupils because it makes her look scarier, and then she also has the two tones on her skin. That also is like, well, that's kind of like what the cluster gem had, isn't it? So then we're just left with her uh... open contempt for fusions and her saying, you only beat me because you're a fusion, and you know, she would wouldn't be saying stuff like that if she was a fusion, would she? I mean, I don't that buy sense? that Jasper's a fusion. I don't buy that. I'm thinking she's probably not, but I mean, people people aren't crazy for saying that. I think she's just a warrior class of gem, and I think that Jasper is a really striated gem in reality. Yeah, I mean, we know that she yeah, called that's... Amethyst an undercooked gem. If she was properly cooked, she would probably have the same. Over, type she's as an overcooked. Oh, uh, overcooked. Amethyst yes, cooked right. for too long. If but she... yeah, that's that's why I brought Jasper up, and I'm trying to establish that she's probably not a fusion because Garnet is herself probably she's on the same level of strength as Jasper, who is, again, probably a single gem, but what a elite warrior is probably like. Right. So Garnet is probably fairly low on the fusion scale. This is true. This episode first aired on January 13th, 2014. It was written and boarded by Joe Johnston and Jeff Liu, and it had 1.347 million views. It deserved more. Eh. Honestly, I have to disagree with you there. I think the fact that this episode did fly under the radar is probably a good thing. Because in terms of lore, we can have more meaningful discussions rather than everyone saying or trying to submit some early theories about the diamonds early on. Doesn't 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 matter how many people watched it. I mean, I, it was on my radar even before Mirror Gem and Ocean Gem aired, and it's like all I can get out of this is that there was fighting on Earth between gems, and that's all I was able to discern. Oh, and that Rose was involved. I mean, at the time, I assumed that the symbol for the homeworld was the triangle and not the rhombus, but I was half right. Oh, okay. One more thing that I do want to say before we end is that I think it's pretty clear that at some point the symbolism for the homeworld changed from a square where all of the diamonds took up a quarter of the square to a rhombus. Yeah, and then the diamond authority has their three diamonds that slightly overlap. So you have your green diamond in the middle, your itty bitty green diamond. Fascinating. Anyway, it is... As we post this, the week of Stephen Bomb, so we will be going back to doing daily episodes again as Stephen Bomb 3, the week of Sardonyx airs, so make sure you check us out tomorrow. Until then, I am GC13. I didn't even realize that next week was Stephen Bomb. Cool. I'm Ken. I have been thinking about nothing but Stephen Bomb and I'm incredibly excited. I'm Dakota. Go team! Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.